Welcome to the Grace City Tampa podcast. My name is Alex Damari. Me and my wife, Brianna, are the lead pastors. Our vision is to lead people into a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that today's podcast will build you up, lift your faith, and encourage you in the journey. Here's the message. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're in the final week of our Harvest Is Now series. We're talking about the fundamentals of being a modern evangelist. What does it look like to evangelize? What does it look like to tell people about Jesus today without scaring them and freaking them out? And uh, week one, we talked about being the light of Jesus, reflecting the light of Jesus into every corner of the world, of really representing and reflecting his light, a life that lives that out. Last week, we talked about the power-filled testimony. Come on, it's not just about your one origin story of your testimony, but the daily interaction with the Lord of the baptism of the water, the baptism of the blood, and the baptism in the Spirit, and what that means to live out every single day as a daily testimony of God's grace and faithfulness in your life. And today, I want to talk about the miracle-working power of God. Our God is a miracle worker, amen? And I believe this is the most powerful step after what we've done the last two weeks. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11 says this. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God, everyone say only God, who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. They will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid the foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should carry or should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus, which is Jesus Christ. I want to preach a message today that I've titled Grace on Grace, Miracles on Miracles. Grace on Grace, Miracles on Miracles. Let's pray before the preaching of God's word. Lord, we open up our minds right now. We open up our hearts. Give us ears to hear what you want to say to us specifically. I know in moments like this, in a sermon that's 29 minutes long, people, it's easy for us to check out. It's easy for us to hear bits and pieces. But Lord, I pray that we will be charged with the call that you have for us today. And we will remember and it will settle in our hearts. Change us, equip us by your word. Help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Grace on grace, miracles on miracles. Have you ever heard the phrase, give credit where credit is due? Give credit where credit is due. It refers to the idea that when someone has done something, you have to give them credit for doing that thing. And uh, when I was first getting into high school in ninth grade, um, I didn't really know you needed to fully give credit where credit was due. And I was asked to do a book report on the book The Hobbit. 
And so I went to the library, got my book, went home, started to look through it, started to plan how I was going to write a book report on this book. And as I started getting into it and not being able to read every single name in the entire book, I was a bit overwhelmed. So I opened a Word document thinking, man, I think I could just set this up and maybe just start writing things as I go. And as I wrote the Hobbit book report, it said, do you want to overwrite the current document? And I was like, interesting. So I clicked on it, and there was a book report from my older brother from two years before. Click that thing open. Oh, my goodness. This guy, I mean, he, he was absolutely a legend of writing about this book. And I read through it, and I tell you what, I, it was like I had watched the movie. It's like I watched, you know, it's like I read the book within a couple pages. And you know what I did in that moment in ninth grade? I deleted his name, deleted the day. I know, guys, I know. And I added my name in there, and I added a date a couple weeks out. It was dodgy. I printed that sucker off, put it in my binder, and went on with my business. And uh, it was three weeks later on a Friday that we had to turn these things in. I bring this thing in, lay it on the table, all confident. It was Monday that I go back into that class, and I get called to the front. Alex, would you come here? Yeah. So I walk up to the front. Hey, could you, could you tell me about why you wrote this section? And I was like, yeah, I wrote this section because, you know, and I just told her a garbage answer. I had no idea. And she's like, yeah, because I think your brother wrote it for this and pulls out my brother's book report and lays it on the desk. I had no idea we had the same teacher. And I see the A plus at the top of the page as she, with a red marker, writes the biggest F I've ever seen in my entire life across my page. And she explains that that was plagiarism and you didn't give credit to the person who wrote it. And she goes, you better make this right. Since then... I've been an advocate for giving credit where credit is due. I was even asked by a pastor just a couple weeks ago. He goes, hey, man, like, who are you copying your sermons from? Like, what podcast are you listening to and, like, copying their sermons? And I was like, I'm not. And he was like, oh, why not? Dude, it's the best thing. And I was like, I, I'm literally in my head going back to ninth grade going, I will never copy someone else's thing ever again in my life. Like, if God didn't give it to me, if I didn't read it in the Word, I am not going to preach this thing, right? But we got to give credit where credit is due. And I think as believers, we take credit or give credit in the wrong places all the time. And Paul is writing this, this letter to the church in Corinth, really bringing them back into alignment, into the understanding, into spiritual maturity. And he's saying, listen, you're not giving credit in the right places. You don't know who's working the miracle in this. Stop giving credit to me or Apollos. you got to give credit to where credit is due. And you have to understand as well, Paul is writing this letter as the founding pastor. He's the one who planted the church in Corinth. Unlike his, his uh, you know, letter to the Romans right before Corinthians, that would have been him as a missionary, uh, really just sending a letter as encouragement to them. But to the church in Corinth, he was the original pastor. So you can almost picture, he probably would have said these things in the beginning. Hey, guys, this church is built upon Jesus. He is the one who works the miracle. This church is built upon the foundation of God. And you can almost sense the frustration in 1 Corinthians 3 where he's going, why are you even saying you're following Paul? Why are you even saying you're following Apollos? Like, what are you saying? You're following Jesus, right? And if we read the first couple verses in this chapter, it says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Could you imagine someone saying that to you today? 
Like, what if I got up here on the stage and I go, hey, just want to let you know, I can't even address you as someone who walks in the Spirit. You're still an infant in Christ. This is what he's saying to them. He goes, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? See, he's simply telling them that they're still worldly and they're still infants in following the Lord. They don't even know who they're following. They're giving credit in all the wrong places. They don't even know to say that they're following the way of Jesus. And you can see the frustration in Paul as this church planter, really as the spiritual father of this church. He's correcting their ways and how they understand who gets the credit. See, Paul understands this, that God's church must be built by God's power and God's wisdom, not by man's. We need to be fully reliant on God because his way is always better than our way. Amen? So he goes on to say in verse 7, so what after all is Apollos. Like, what is he? And what is Paul? Only servants through who you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. Don't give the credit to Paul. Don't give the credit to Apollos. They're not anything but only God who makes things grow. See, Paul clearly explains the fact that it's not him who's making the thing grow. He's doing his role. Apollos is doing his role, but God makes it grow. And a great reminder for the church today is this. Do what you can do with what's in your hand and let God do the rest. Do what you can do with what's in your hand and let God do the rest. The rest. See, for us today, I believe that we are guilty of unknowingly doing this all the time. We work so hard to produce fruit. We even overthink what it would be like to produce that fruit, and we get scared to even do that thing. We strive to see results. We treat furthering the gospel like we're going to the gym to work out and see results instantly. When Paul says so clearly that he does his role, Apollos does his role, and God is the one who makes it grow. So to understand our role in the mix, I hope you guys are still with me. To understand our role in the mix, I believe you have to understand the grace of God on your life. Grace on grace. So I believe that today we can leave with an understanding that God has graced us to do what he has called us to do. And we need to trust him in his miracle working power to build his church. Come on, the grace on grace to the miracles on miracles. We are believing for the lost to be found. And I believe that we have to do it God's way, not our way. Amen? Amen. So what does it mean to be graced? I want to explain it a little bit to you. In church, you've probably heard it a million times, where we talk about grace and mercy. And these things often go hand in hand. Why? Because they are beautiful gifts from God. In reference to God sending His one and only Son, we see the gift of mercy and the grace of God poured out so generously on us. And we often use the words grace and mercy interchangeably, but in reality, there's a definite difference between the two. Can we talk about it? 
See, we love to say in church that mercy means us not getting what we deserve. And grace means us getting what we don't deserve. Let me explain that. Mercy means us not getting what we deserve. Come on, the wages of sin is death. We are all sinners, right? So what we deserve is death, yet mercy came in and covered that for us. The blood of Jesus covers that for us. We have received mercy. We are not getting what we deserve, which is death. And grace is us getting what we don't deserve. The gifts of God, the favor of God, the mercy of, like really all these different gifts. Like you're talking about the talents, abilities, the the ability to be able to outwork the gospel comes from the grace of God. See, mercy is a covering for our sins. Grace is God's generosity and help of time of need. Mercy saves us from our brokenness. Grace opens up eternal life for us. Mercy enables salvation for all. Grace opens up the gifts for us to outwork that salvation. Mercy happened through the blood of Jesus. Grace empowers us to tell people about salvation for all. We can see how they're in relation to each other, yet they are so different in beautiful ways. Wouldn't you agree? And understanding that and what their individual purposes are, I want to focus on grace because I believe that the Great Commission has everything to do with the grace given to each of us. And like we read in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10, it says this, By the grace God has given me, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. By the grace God has given me. Come on, that word grace in the original Greek language is charis. It means favor. It describe, it's described as an act that is categorized as kind or generous gift. By the grace, by the gift, by the favor God has given, I laid the foundation. See, Paul is explaining in the scripture that God gave him the ability through the grace to specifically lay the foundation and someone else will be completing the build. We even see it as the founding pastor of this. We understand. Like, I love to picture it this way, that Paul came in and built on the foundation of Jesus. Like, the the ground had been laid. The cornerstone is set. And Paul came in and laid the rest of the foundation of what this church would look like. And then people came in and did the framing after him. And then people came in and did the siding after him. And the electrician came in and did all the electrical throughout. And someone put in the sheetrock and someone laid the flooring and someone painted. Someone had the roof. Like the windows were installed. All the different pieces of this house were built by the multiple people in their assigned areas and their assigned tasks. Paul doesn't take the credit for building the whole church. He said, all I did is come in and laid the foundation. Are you tracking with me today? See, each person has been given an individual grace zone to outwork the Great Commission. Not only are we given the gift of eternal life, we are also given abilities to outwork the call of God in our lives. And I want you to hear me today. Grace is a multifaceted and multidimensional thing. It's not just about us being made right with God. It's an empowering to do the work he's called us to do. In 1, James, or 1 Peter 4, 10, it says this. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace, charis, as God's grace in its various forms. Come on, we have grace on grace on grace in our lives. Each of us in this room specifically designed to serve and lead and use our gifts in various ways. You have a grace zone. Come on, turn to the person next to you. Say, you have a grace zone. 
Turn to the other person and say, you have a grace zone. Being a lead pastor, I have the opportunity to see firsthand people activated into their grace zone. And if you've ever been to our growth track, I love to say it this way, that here at Grace City Tampa, we empower people to operate in their grace zone. We want to release people, empower them to use their gifts for the gospel. I remember at one of our very first culture nights that we had, there were these gatherings that we did with anybody who was down to like get crazy and plant a church with us. And we, we hosted this night right over at Sprigg's studio. And it was such, a, you know, such an unknown night. We had no idea what was going to unfold. We had maybe 10 people confirmed that were going to be there. Bobby had an acoustic guitar. I mean, we were getting wild. We had no idea what was going to take place. This, was, this wasn't even really, I mean, this was about two years ago, I believe. Um, and we were gathering. I remember we had just bought a camera as a church. It was our very first camera. And that afternoon before our culture night, I told Brianna, I said, I have no idea who could even take pictures. Like, we don't even have anybody around us that could take pictures. And Brianna goes, well, why don't you let Naomi take pictures? And I'm like, I don't even know if Naomi can hold a camera. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but in all that, it was awesome. Brianna goes, no, I think she could do it. Brianna saw the gift inside of someone's life. And so that night, I put that camera on auto mode. <laughs> and I handed it to her, and I'm like, this button takes pictures, you know. And I go, just take pictures of whatever. Like, just try to capture the night. We'd love to document what's happening here. And I even had the team get a picture ready of one of the pictures that Naomi got. This was from the overflow of the 89 people that gathered at that first culture night in Sprigg's studio. The whole other room on the other side was packed, completely packed, shoved into this amazing, beautiful space. And... Um, you know what's wild is now Naomi oversees our entire communications team, right? If you've ever followed our Instagram or if you're here because of our Instagram, it's because of the grace and the gift of God on that person's life. She not only holds a camera, she has a team of people around her that hold cameras. She has coordinators. She has people that are operating in their grace zone. And I tell you what, more people have come to our church because of Instagram than any other reason in the last two years operating in her grace zone. This room is full of people who need to be activated in their God-given grace and their God-given ability. Maybe you're not the person to lay the foundation, but maybe you could put the windows in. I believe that God has graced each of us to do what he's called us to do, and each of us have a gift to be utilized by God. In Romans 12, 6 through 8, it's a list of a couple different gifts. It says this, we have different gifts according to the what? The grace given to each of us. The chorus. According to the favor, the generosity of our God given to you. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. If it's to serve in kids' ministry, then do it with joy. Come on, if it's to preach on a stage, do it with humility. Come on, if it's to evangelize, then do it with compassion for the lost. Church, you see what's happening here. God has activated the saints for the work of the ministry. And he's saying each and every one of you have been given gifts. You've been given the grace of God. It's grace upon grace. And if you don't know what your specific grace zone is, I'm sure many in this room would feel that. I don't know what mine is. 
I believe that it starts at being available. I believe it starts at showing up. It starts at being faithful. It starts at your willingness. It starts at contributing. Then I believe God continues your grace in you and the work at hand. If we would have asked Naomi that very first day to take over communications team, I don't know if she would have been ready for that moment. You know what she was? She was available. She was present. She kept showing up and saying, I'm here. Whatever you need, I'm ready to contribute. And now you've watched as the grace continues to unfold and unfold and unfold around her where she can carry more and do more and reach more people. God is empowering you to do the work of the ministry. Amen. Amen. Can I offend everybody in the room a little bit? Like a couple of my leaders like, yeah, everybody else is like, uh. The call on all of our lives above and beyond using our gifts is the Great Commission. This isn't about specifics. It's a call to go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. It's the call on all of our lives. Even God's, like, it's, it's written in the Word. Like, how do we show God that we love Him? By following His commands. And I think a lot of times we can shy back because of our personality type. Yeah, my personality type is like, I can't do that. Like, I, I don't enjoy having awkward conversations with strangers, right? Sometimes we can shy back. Like, my number on Enneagrams is this, so I can't. I can't, like, cross over that. Like, it's not my personality type. What's your wing? You know what I'm saying? This is where I want to offend everybody. Is that okay? Get over it. Get over it. Myself included. We have been called. We have been given an assignment by God. There are people who are lost and need the gospel message of Jesus Christ. I don't know about your personality type. I don't know about your gift set. You've been given a call. You've been given an assignment. You have a purpose. You've been called. You've been appointed. You've been chosen to preach the gospel to every nation. It has nothing to do with the specifics. This is a generalized call to every person. You have been graced to reach the lost for Jesus Christ. Are you still with me? Myself included. I'm challenged each and every day as I wear this bracelet, as I drink from my mug that says lost or found, what am I doing every day with the general grace that's been put on my life to reach the lost people in the Tampa Bay region that need Jesus? The good news is this. The pressure isn't on your shoulders. See, now that you can see that you've been graced and for the steps that you need to take forward in activating your general grace and activating your specific grace to be used by God, I believe that's when we step into the miracles on miracles. See, we've done what we can do and now we gotta let God do what he can do. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 7 says this, listen, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but who God has been making it grow? So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. Amen. Come on, it's only God who can work the miracle. Come on, when we operate in the grace on our lives, we release the miracle working power of God. See, God is the one who gets the credit and it's for his glory, for growing and establishing his church. 
We have to give credit where credit is due. Amen? We do what we're called to do, and we let God do what only he can do. It's just like a seed planted by a farmer. I don't know a single human being that has forced a seed to die and come back to life, but I do know farmers that plant seeds and water them and allow the miracle working power of that seed to come back to life. We don't work the miracles. That's not on our shoulders. We just got to operate in the grace on grace on grace in our lives and allow God to do his thing. Man, it's easy to try to streamline church, isn't it? It's easy to try to make this into a business. I even know a church that I was close with for a while and helping develop some of the things. And one of the parts of their mission statement was be excellent at business. And they were using business tactics from the world. And the more that I think about it, the more I go back to it, I go, I, I really believe that God builds his church on his own principles and on his own wisdom. He doesn't borrow from the world. Like, if we feel like it goes with the gospel, if it goes with the call of God on our life, then absolutely we can utilize those tools. But we're not building this with business strategies, business principles, like do this one, two-step process and this will work. We're believing in the miracle working power of God. He's the one building his church. Paul did nothing. Apollos, is, they aren't anything, but God is the one who makes it grow. Are you with me today, church? Come on, our mission statement is this to lead people into a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. Sometimes we can read that and go, my job is to transform lives. No, your job is to lead people. And when we can lead people, we're going to let God bring the transformation. We're going to let God do the renewing because God is a miracle-working kind of God. He transforms lives. He saves people. He forgives people. He covers past. Come on. He gives us a future. He makes broken things whole. He frees captives. He mends relationships. He raises from the dead. Come on. He raises others from the dead. He heals diseases and sicknesses. He breaks down walls. He bursts open prison doors. He empowers us by his Holy Spirit. He provides all that we need according to his riches and glory. He calms storms. Come on. He walks on water. He conquered death. He rose again, church. He is a miracle working kind of God this isn't a one two three kind of step we do with what's in our hands and let God do the rest we live in the grace on grace and he works in his miracles on miracles grace on grace miracles on miracles I'm gonna invite the band up honestly I've tried in my own strength countless times to force miracles only to come up short every single time. Countless times praying for people, like with just like so much passion and being disappointed that I wasn't able to heal someone. And now my perspective has shifted in the fact that it's God who works the miracle. I can only do what he's called me to do and I just have to trust him. There was a guy last year that came to our church because I was at a coffee shop with someone and he heard us talking about the Lord and I got together for coffee with him and helped repair some broken ideas about God. He showed up to church, got saved. I bought him his very first Bible. He started coming to my city group. It was this beautiful thing. I was like, this is it. I have planted a seed. I have watered this, watered it, watered it. And here's the miracle that I unfolded. A couple months later, he disappeared. 
Won't call me back. Won't call any of our guys back that were around him in that season. I don't know what happened. For nearly 13 years now, being a full-time pastor, I have watered and planted more seeds than I can count. Hundreds, if not thousands of seeds in smaller, big ways. I, I got a call the other night from a guy that I had no idea would even remember me. He calls me and he goes like, this moment, this small conversation I had with you five years ago changed my life forever. I'd have no idea. God worked the miracle. There was one person, when I first got back from college, I was 20 years old and I stepped into the youth pastor role at my parents' church. And there's this small, goofy kid that was one of the funniest people that I've ever met. I still remember that first day when I grabbed him and put him in my car, gave him a, a drive, you know, gave him a ride home. I remember talking with him and laughing the whole car ride home. His name was Manny. Manny George. I won't get through this very well. Um, <clears throat> Manny was hilarious and he carried the joy of the Lord with him everywhere he went. I remember giving him his, his first shot. He played my bass that we still use here. The, whenever you see a red bass up here, that was my first instrument I ever bought. He grabbed my bass and started playing in church. I remember activating, like getting him to serve at everything. I'd go pick him up after school and we'd go to Burger King and we'd use the Coke freestyle machine and do our thing. We'd talk about the Lord. We'd talk about life. He came from a broken household and I was able to work with him on a lot of things. I was planting and watering and believing that I was working a miracle in his life. Four years later, as he's operating at a high level, learning how to preach for the first time. I mean, beautiful things in ministry. We got the call of God to move three hours away and I was gonna become the creative pastor of a church. And I remember feeling the sorrow of that moment, leaving Manny and what that would be like. There was a couple of people in my life that I thought, man, this is just so hard to leave. But we did, we, we left and we felt the call of God to do this thing. It was a couple of months after that, I started getting calls from people saying, Manny wasn't doing well. He kind of started doing the wrong things, hanging with the wrong people, choosing the wrong things. I hope it's okay that I'm talking about this. I haven't even asked you. Love you. And the end of the story, no. It was a couple of years later, it was 2015. His grandma was desperate and she called me. She goes, is there any way you could reach out to him? Just let him know that you're still there, that you can help him. Of course, my heart was broken. I'm like, I gotta work a miracle in this guy's life. I gotta do whatever I can do to make this happen. And I wrote him this letter and I texted him, was it yesterday? I'm like, dude, you still have that letter? And he sent it to me and I wanna put it on the screens and I wanna read the first little bit to you. Eight years ago, I wrote this to Manny. Dear Manny, I want you to know that even though I live far away from you now, I think and pray for you often. This is crazy, Manny. Like, this is crazy. You've always been such an encouragement to me, and I love that you are in my life at one capacity or another. 
For the first time, I gave you, from the first time I gave you a ride home, I had a great hope in my heart for the man after God you would become. I know that life has been hard and a struggle for you, but you, Manny, are triumphant in Christ. And it has been my joy to watch you hold on to the hope in Jesus. You are the funniest guy I know. Even when you didn't know it, you would bring joy to my heart through your sarcasm and jokes. I am sure in my heart that you, Manny, are called by God. I see Jesus in you because of the joy he has given you. There are many lost and broken people in this world. And I believe that you will be one of the great men chosen by God to transform the world. Don't forget the calling on your life. Hold on to it and you will change the world. I was hoping this letter was the miracle. And it wasn't. It's a couple years. You fell even further off track. I remember one time coming back from, from the other side of the mountains and meeting with Manny and going, I've lost hope completely. I don't know if he will ever come back. I thought this was enough. I did everything that I knew to do. I gave it in God's hands. You know what happened a couple years later, two years later? This guy shows up at the church internship. I was still a little bit like, I don't know if this is going to work out. I even kept my distance for the first year because I was like, I don't even know if I have anything left to offer. And I watched as God worked a miracle. I didn't know that this letter held so much meaning in Manny's life because I thought it was the miracle, but in reality, it was just a seed. It was just a watering. And I had to wait for God to work the miracle in his timing. It wasn't on my shoulders, but man, I carried it like it was. And I think some people in here need to hear this today. It's not on your shoulders to work the miracle for that lost one. It's not on your shoulders that when you invite somebody to church, when you invite them into the family, when you invite them into the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the gospel, it's not on your shoulders to work the miracle. You can only plant seeds and water them. And today I'm looking at this guy sitting on, his front, on the front row with true life transformation, one of the youth pastors of our church who gets up here week in, week out, preaches the gospel, is making a difference in the city of Tampa because he was willing to lay down his life for the gospel. That's not anything I did. That's only the miracle working power of Jesus at work within Manny. Can I tell you, church, the pressure's off. Like if we want to be evangelists in today's day and age, we got to plant and we got to water and we got to let God do the miracle. We got grace on grace for our lives and God's going to work his miracles on miracles. Credit goes to God. 1 Corinthians 3.8. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. They'll each be rewarded according to their labor. For we are co-laborers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Would you stand to your feet? I want you to hear this from me today. You are a co-worker in God's service and don't you ever forget it. You have a purpose for your life. There's a reward for the labors, but you might not see it every single day. Might have to be an eternity someday. 
But I tell you what, I just need a couple. I just need a couple. Jesus needed 12. I just need a couple of people that are saying, I'm willing. I'm willing to pick up the gospel and change the world one person at a time. It says that all of heaven rejoices when one says yes to Jesus. Even if it would have just been for Manny, my life would have been worth it. But I tell you what, years later, I keep getting calls. Life transformation, life transformation. Water, plant. Use your gifts. God has graced you. Change the world. Let God work the miracle. So I want to give one call first to anybody in this room that's lost. With every eye facing me and every head up, anybody in this room that would say, you know what? I hear you talking, and I was Manny. I was wandering. I was lost, and I hear it, and today the Lord is stirring in my heart, and I go, I want to be found. I want to come into relationship with him. So with every eye up and every head raised, this is your moment just to confess him as Lord. This is you simply stepping in and saying, yeah, I do believe that there is a God. I do believe that there is someone who died for me and rose again. Come on, I'm going to count to three. And if that's you, I'll just ask you to simply raise your hand to acknowledge that. One, know that God loves you so much. He gave his one and only son to show you that love, to give you life and life eternal. Two. The Bible says today is the day of the salvation. You don't need to wait any longer. You don't need to have all the answers. If you simply believe that's your first step to enter into this thing. Three, if that's you, would you raise your hand across this room? Anybody need to raise their hand today and say, today is my day to receive salvation. Thank you, Lord. Beautiful, beautiful. Man, next week I just believe it's going to be so many hands. So many people giving their life to Jesus. This is a charge. This is an encouragement. This should champion us. This should give us passion for the lost. Amen. So everybody looking up. I want to ask you these three questions. What are you graced for specifically? What are you graced for? What is the thing in your life that you feel like God has given you the ability, the gifts that could be seeds that could water the ground? Question number two, have you walked in your general assignment of reaching the lost, the general grace of God? Are you walking in it? Is it radiating from your life? Are you shining the light of Christ in every single area? When is your life testifying the power of the baptism in water? Is your life testifying the power of the blood of Jesus on your life? Is your life testifying the power of the Holy Spirit within you? Question three, are you allowing God to work his miracles or are you forcing them? Are you allowing God to work his miracles or are you forcing them? And if you are, I challenge you, let go. Let go. Let go. So, we're here at the end of the harvests now. I probably have 10 more messages I could preach about reaching the lost, which we will this year. I promise you this. But next Sunday is Invite Sunday. And this is not just a, like a fancy way to get people into church. The whole idea is to create an environment where lost people can find Jesus. Like there is a goal at the end of everything that we're doing, and that is that people would raise their hand and acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. We are not here to build a church of multitudes of people. We're here to build a church of one person hundreds of times over. 
And we are looking at it that way. That's what this is all about. So I challenge you, pick up the Great Commission, go and make disciples this week. I challenge you even to hang for both services next week. Stick around. We got food in between. Come on, we got Takiera Emmanuel going to be bringing some breakfast burritos in between services. And then he's got some quesadilla tacos and some other things after the first service. I'm telling after the second service, we're going to have amazing fun things, bounce houses for the kids. It's just going to be an amazing party Sunday. I'm preaching a message how we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. It's going to be so easy for people just to receive. And here, I promise I'm going to try not to offend people. You know what I'm saying? Like, come to church, but the pastor might offend you. It's going to be an amazing Sunday, and I challenge you. Better yet, I commission you. Go and make disciples. So if, if you're ready to receive that, would you put your hands in front of you? And I want to commission you with this. Go into all the world. Make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything Jesus has commanded us. And surely he will be with you to the end of the age. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd empower the saints to do the work of the ministry. But I pray you will awake our calling like never before. This week, give us a passion for the lost. This week, I pray, Lord, you'd give us the most unbelievable moments where we can talk to people and simply tell them about you. This isn't even about telling them about church. This is about telling them about you, Jesus. Open doors for us to tell people about what you've done and the love that you have for us. I commission the church to be your hands, to be your feet. Awake the region of Tampa Bay that the 80% that are on church would be found by the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Come on, can we sing this last song out together? Let's declare it out. Thank you for listening to the Grace City Tampa podcast. Stay tuned for more weekly messages from our church.